Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Product Coalition European Tour London series where today I'm very excited to be joined by my good friend James Woodley. Welcome James. Hello, thank you for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. Uh, this tour and every single podcast episode is dedicated to raising awareness and support for the bushfire affected communities and wildlife in Australia. If you enjoyed this episode, please show your support for these amazing causes by visiting bushfire.productcoalition.com or to learn more about the European tour, visit tour.productcoalition.com. Now I'm visiting five cities across Europe to interview over 50 product leaders to gain insights, knowledge and experience to share with you product coalition global community if you just discovered the product coalition welcome we're a global product community with over 500,000 readers 6,000 slack members and thousands of podcast listeners head to platform.productcoalition to find out more now i need to give a big thank you to some brands and individuals that have already supported the fundraiser that i'm up and running with here first up is user pilot UserPilot is a co-free user onboarding and adoption tool designed especially for product management teams. UserPilot helps to increase conversion, user retention rates and reduce churn by guiding new users to their first aha moment with interactive walkthroughs, contextual product tours and onboarding checklists. It allows product managers to build fully customizable, behavior-triggered in-app experiences with a simple visual editor. Go to userpilot.com to book your demo and grab a free trial. Showbit Trug is the intentional product manager. Showbit runs intentionalproductmanager.com and Showbit helps product managers become product leaders and have careers they can be proud of. You can sign up for Showbit's free class on the habits that turn product managers into exceptional product leaders and help them move through their careers fast at intentionalproductmanager.com. Product-led teams like Mixpanel and Flexport know that the best time to capture engagement is when a user is already inside the product. That's why they use Chameleon to drive feature adoption, build onboarding flows and gather feedback. You can give it a go at trychameleon.com forward slash success. I'd also like to thank the individuals Rich Mironoff, Chris Miles, David Fraden, and Andrew Grishenko. James, looking forward to this session. Um, we're going to be talking about the diversity of user discovery. Yep. Looking forward looking to it. Looking forward to it, yeah. going to be good. Now, um, for those that uh, have tuned in for a little while, you may know James as the co-host of the rest of the London episodes. Yep, roped uh, in for an actual uh, guest slot. That's it. Yeah, put you in the hot seat. And um, and I'm, I'm really excited to be doing this session with James. Just, just to give some background, James and I have known each other since we were about 18 years old. Uh, once upon a time, we both used to work in the same cinema uh, in Basildon in Essex That's right. in England. And, um, and we've been good friends ever since. So I'm really pleased to enjoy some sort of quality time talking about our sort of professional outlooks in, of the world um, on this podcast episode. And James and I also share a very common football team called Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> For right now. We, we can't talk too much about, so um, we'll, we'll part of that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on from there. <laughs> so, James, um, on each of the podcast episodes, as you well know, there's an icebreaker at the start. Now, Melbourne was the locals' guide, Sydney was a pub quiz, and you co-hosted the English quiz of Is It English or Not? But I knew you'd know what was coming, so I've mixed it up a bit. Oh, I thought I was going to get right. away with this one. <laughs> so my thinking was to go for ultra localization. Um, for me, I'm probably never going to get to record another podcast episode with someone else who's from Basildon in Essex. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I've gone all in on Essex. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. So the game is similar to the London one of English or not, um, but it's called Essex or not. Okay. And these celebrities, you've got to decide whether – they're from Essex or not. All right. 
Come on in. All right. How, how confident are you feeling about your, your <laughs> cultural heritage and history of Essex? <laughs> a lot a lot less confident than I was five minutes ago when I thought it would be London <laughs> or not, right? England, English or not. We'll you see how we get on. London Wikipedia page. Exactly, yeah. That's what I've been doing all week. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I'm going to get us going. Uh, first up, we've got Nicholas John Frost otherwise known as Nick Frost. He's the actor um, out of films like Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz and The World's End. And also Attack the Block, which is one of my top 10 films of all time. Just great for movie. The effectiveness of special effects. Um, so, James, what do you reckon? Nick so Frost, Hot, Hot you know Fuzz is, Yeah, Hot Fuzz is one of my favourites. Um, I'm going to say, yeah, from Essex. Total yeah. guess. Total guess, but I think, yeah. Total guess. Nailed it. Where do you reckon? Uh, Colchester. Nah. No. Dagnum. Dagnum. All right. Yeah. Oh, many many would say that's not Essex, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's got an SS postcode or something. Fair you know, enough. Or RM postcode. Yeah. Think, Essex doesn't want them, and neither does London. Doesn't count. As <laughs> right. Next up, uh, the very lovely Penny Lancaster Stewart, who is the model and photographer of um, rock singer Sir Rod Stewart. So, I know they don't live so far away, but I think that's going to be a no. So I don't think no. I don't think she's from Essex. You'd be wrong. Oh, really? Chelmsford, apparently. Ah, oh, where I live now. Being a uh, gentleman, I won't share what year, it, and the internet <laughs> didn't tell me. Can you guess? Do you remember what year they got married, Rod and Penny? Ooh, that wasn't that long ago, was it? I reckon two thousand five, something like that. Two thousand and seven, and from what I remember, Rod Stewart is also Tottenham fan, isn't he? He is, yeah. yeah Can't smile without you. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Uh, okay, next up. Um, does the name Mike Edmonds mean anything to you? I can't say it does. Go on. Who's this? Okay, well, few actors can claim to have defeated stormtroopers alongside Skywalker and played a goblin in Harry Potter. Uh, Mike Edmonds, 73, who played an Ewok in Star Wars. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, also um, played a goblin in, in Harry Potter. Um, what not? do we think? What do we think? Um, if the first two were, I'm just going to say no on this one as a as a or of averages type thing. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be wrong. Mike Edmonds <laughs> is from Essex. I actually haven't captured where from. Staying on the Harry Potter theme, uh, theme we've got um, Rupert Grint, which is Rupert famous. Grint, yeah, he's the ginger-haired Quidditch playing wizard from Harry Potter. Um, being as all the others have been, I'm going to try yes on this one. The Muggle was, or not Muggle, was born in Harlow. Oh, there you go. So you'd be right. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost count of what you what got. What a game. It was three out of four, <laughs> two out of four, maybe. Two out of four, I and think, there yeah. we go. That's as much exposure Essex is going to get on this podcast <laughs> for the rest of time. All right, let's get stuck into cool. the, uh, today's episode, James, we're going to be talking about the... Uh, diversity or including diversity in, in user discovery. Mm. Um, do you mind giving a bit of background about yourself first, James, your career history, etc.? Sure. So I'm an engineer by trade or developer, whatever way you want to call it. Um, so I suppose to you product uh, coalition listeners or, or viewers, I might be uh, the enemy or the, the best friend. I'm not sure which way engineers fall with the product product guys. Um, my, uh, my career has been a pr- pretty diverse. I've never really fell into one industry. Um, my industry has always been tech. So I've gone from, as you said, we uh, we both worked in a cinema. Uh, from there, I went to work for Ford Motor Company, working on their parts 
cataloging help desk. That's where I learned my my trade. Uh, from there, ended up working for a company called Purple Passport, which was a, a online skills passport place. And then rose up through the ranks there and led their teams in the end. Um, went on to then work in online gambling, uh, sort of the poker affiliate type side of things, uh, to Salesforce, the big American CRM. Um, left there to try and be an entrepreneur in 2016. Uh, went to work for a company called When You Move, which is a uh, conveyancing platform. And then uh, where I am now is with Zoopla, uh, which is a massive uh, property portal um, in in here in the UK. So uh, it's always been engineering, but more so these days in the uh, kind of like team lead, uh, engineering manager type role. Brilliant. So that's, that's where we are now, yeah. Thank you very much. And now podcast co-host as well. Podcast co-host, that yeah. List of- achievements absolutely another string to the bow <laughs> indeed indeed right james do, do you want to get us started um by talking about um user discovery yeah so user discovery what i mean here is you know how do you go out and find out what your users want you to build um you know i'm a, a software engineer so it's it's always building features or building products that that people ideally are going to use um so how do we go about doing that and traditionally the 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 way of doing that has been kind of a product-led team, um, led by product owners, product managers, would go out into the, the industry you're in and find out how they're going to build things that make people's lives easier and, you know, work out the pain that your users are having and then work out how you, you as an engineering team are going to solve them. That's quite often been kind of thrown over the wall. You know, the product team will go and do that without any anyone else kind of chipping in. Um, what I mean by diversity here is getting all the other people involved. Um, so that's engineers, it's UX, it's the product guys. It can it can be QAs, it can be infra, it can be anyone who's who's in that team, right? And you know, we a lot of people call them engineering teams, QA teams, infra teams, ops teams. I like to call them delivery teams because they all are pushing towards the same goal. Um, and that should include the product guys. And it's, we're all you know we're all looking to try and build software that people want to use. So yeah, it's it's about getting everyone to do that user discovery and, and get out there and you know we we I like to call it sort of we call it goob get out of the building and it means you know you're not just sitting behind your desk banging away at your keyboard get out there and meet the people that you're trying to solve problems for brilliant brilliant I want to just take take it back a step um when was when was your first exposure in to the discovery space as opposed to purely here's something to deliver when, when did yeah. that happen you and your career so that was probably, at, at, like I said earlier, about at the Purple Passport place, which was um, a very small company when I got there. Um, it grew into quite a big sort of 15-team, engineer, 15-man engineering team. Um, but at the very beginning, there was no one else that would do it apart from the CTO and the CEO. Um, and they were more interested in, you know, how they're going to make revenue. Um, that was very difficult for me to translate into building product. Um, and me and, you know, the, the other people in the team. So it got to the point where I was actually phoning the customers who had, they were phoning in with support calls. So I would phone them back and say, look, I've seen you've got support calls in our system. Can you tell me what you were doing to make that do that? And then I'll try and fix it for you. And then that kind of grew into, you know, you'd end up in a discussion and a conversation with these people and they'd go, do you know what, if you're on the engineering team, it would be so much better if it just did this and that and the other. Um, and then, you know, all of a sudden I'm actually having conversations like a product manager would. Um, and then, you know, that kind of, died down a bit as we started hiring people that were much better at that sort of thing than I am. Um, but it soon realized that anyone can get involved in that. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, so what, what, what's interesting with, with this is that you, you've hacked your way around it. You've gone about Absolutely. it on, on your own when the CTO CEO was essentially 
I would say chasing revenue opportunities, not yeah. looking for problems to solve or new value to create. Yeah, and I mean, so when was our product Purple Passport was somewhere around the sort of 2008 to 2010 mark I was there um, doing right. the majority of this sort of stuff. So, you know, the discipline of product management was probably in its infancy around those sort of times. And, you know, trying to find people to help help me work out people's problems was, was very difficult, mainly because I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I was just going out there trying to trying to help myself, if, essentially, because I was building things that people didn't like. So, right. yeah, it was kind of, I had to go and hack it a bit because there was no one else in the company that would do it with me. At any point in time when discovery is happening, it, it's quite often that it will conflict with something like a, a sales goal or a feature that the sales team are desiring um, and their CEO being part of that sales team, typically, particularly in those startup environments. Um, how do you manage that, that conflict from what you learn out of discovery? It's, it's difficult because, you know, the sales guys are out there with their targets. Um, you know, they want to make whatever it is, you know, number of sales, revenue targets, whatever it is. And they will quite often be quite ruthless in hitting those targets. So if, if someone says to them, you know, I want you to, to build this product or if you if you build this feature, I will buy your product. They want to hit that number. They don't take into account things like, yeah, but that's one user out of a thousand or, you know, the, the impact that might have on other pieces of work that are ongoing uh, in terms of delivery or, or, you know, that makes them more complicated or timeframes, you know, we're not going to deliver the last thing you told us was the most important. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a balance because, you know, you still want your sales teams motivated. You still want them going out there and hitting their targets because it's all, again, you're all part of that same team. Um, so the way we've started doing it at Zupra actually is to to include them. So those, the people that are on the, on the sort of at the coalface hearing all of these things, become part of that discovery pattern and what they say goes into against other stakeholders say and then we work out our priorities from there um and it is it is a challenge because you know everyone wants everything done yesterday right so it's it's difficult to try and uh, placate people in the right way um and and not cause there to be sort of friction around uh, around those things that they come up with um and quite often what we've done is actually said look you know you've you've told us that this particular I don't know, feature or, or product piece really important to you. So let me let me send out some some developers to the to the user that said that and find out exactly why. Um, and maybe the product already does that and you just didn't realize it. And it, you know, there's there's some ways around it that way. But just yeah, it's I think the, the way the older ways of doing things were very. I'm a sales guy. I'm a product person. I'm an engineer. Turn all that around and just go. I'm a, I'm part of a delivery team. It seems yeah. seems to be helping. Great. So, what, what, um, for, for those that, that this may be new, so you like where you come in and you're bringing discovery into an organization for the first time, mm-hmm. or you're opening up discovery to be much, uh, much more inclusive with people from engineering, customer support, etc. What, what, what are some of the cultural challenges, um, uh, with that? Because it's a new concept, possibly for many. Yep. The, it may be engineers have never sat in front of customers before, maybe in, in their career. Absolutely. Um, what have you seen work and not work in that space? Yeah, I mean, so some, one of the biggest problems is, is kind of apathy is, is one way of putting it. And by that, I mean, you know, engineers like to, to write code and QAs like to test and ops people like servers. And, you know, they don't want to get in front of their customers, mainly because they never have and they never thought they might have to. Um, so it's getting that first hurdle of saying, right, I'm, I'm going to see this customer come with me. Uh, I'm going to take away the... Um, 
the the nervousness around it and say you haven't got to say anything you know just sit in the room with us and and listen to what our customers are saying you never know it might open your eyes a bit you know that kind of uh, thing so i've taken some uh, some people out with me like that and literally just said look just sit in the side of the room don't say a thing we'll introduce you at the beginning say hello and that's the end of your um, involvement just listen and that's really helped because all of a sudden they come out of that you know it's not a long hour long meeting going oh wow i never knew that people were were having that kind of trouble or it's great to hear that people love our product you know it's both sides of the coin um trying to you know just get them out of their comfort zone a little bit is the hardest part and then you know we're all people people are social animals as soon as you get in a room with people you start talking um and it it brings them out of the shell and then the next time they actually want to do it and they you know they, they saw the value and all of a sudden they're they're, they're loving their product or they're realizing it's not fitting in the way they thought it was and then they start taking ownership of it and you know the discovery becomes part of the let's say sprint building as well and you end up bringing in some tech debt stuff to it or some some other you know you have an opinion about that feature being built rather than just cracking away at the code because you were told to do it and it really drives that kind of involvement and engagement in in the whole process and there's also a bit of that like i call it not my job gov where you know i was hired to be a qa person want to do that because that's not what i wanted to do so it's again it's the whole how do you get them involved how do you get them engaged um and you don't want to just dictate it because people start resenting you then and you know they need to be involved and look if i had my way everybody would do these sessions but sometimes you just have to accept someone's personality just doesn't fit it so so let them let them do things their own way you know as long as they're being engaged in the process um and there's also a bit of a on the other side a responsibility blur from from the product owners you know they they think that that is their responsibility and they don't want people being on their toes or going to a customer and saying the wrong thing or something like that so it's trying to it's trying to make them also trust their colleagues that you know we're again like i said earlier we're all in this for the same reason trying to build good product so so trust that your engineering colleagues or your ux designers are going to go out there and not you know, badmouth a product in front of a customer or something like that. Just trust that we're all there for the right reason, yeah. But okay. build, building that culture is, is the strongest. You know, if you can get that culture, it, it really builds strong product. There's many delivery leads out there that are challenged, got deadlines, pressures, sprint mm-hmm. goals, etc. And this is obviously going to come at a trade-off of time yeah. developing in the, in the sprint. But what, how, how do you tackle that? How do you prioritize, manage it, um, and set expectations that there's value going to be brought back from from an engineer on, on this experience? Mm. So a couple of ways. In the, in the immediate term, I try and ask the engineer to go and speak to the delivery managers and tell them what they got out of the session and, and why that time away from, from delivery was valuable to them. Um, that's kind of, you know, you're, you're almost your, your post-mortem from the end of the session. You know, literally go back to the office and, and talk about it straight away when it's fresh. Um, but then also trying to get the delivery managers, you know, scrum masters, heads of engineering, all those people that, that think in deadlines rather than think in sprints, let's say. Um, trying to sort of educate them is maybe too strong a word, but what I mean by that is upfront effort isn't necessarily wasted. So by doing these things at the beginning, you, you're probably cutting your delivery time because you might not have to go out there and, and refactor or it doesn't go out there and doesn't fit the need or it doesn't go out there and it's full of bugs. You know, so just because a product gets released, that doesn't mean the delivery of it is finished. And if you can reduce that tail time of, you know, bug fixing or whatever it might be by having this session up front, 
you might deliver at the same time, but you deliver a more successful product. Because, you know, how big is the reputational damage if you deliver this all singing or dancing feature that doesn't actually work because you didn't do the discovery properly in the first place? So, yeah, it's, it's trying. It's difficult because a lot of people come into these industries and these these companies, you know, sort of banging the drum. We need to deliver things quickly and we need to deliver it. You know, there's a deadline of two weeks or something. But if you just realize that by doing this work up front and delivering in three weeks or four weeks, you're not in a worse place because you've delivered later than you said you would because you haven't had all of that extra thing at the end. But actually, your users like it more. So you're in a better place, if anything. Um, it's difficult to, you know, you can you can say that to your blue in the face, but people with 20 years experience of the old way of doing things, I'd say, it's difficult to get them to, to sort of go along with the ride. Um, I kind of use the, the carrot and stick approach by going, let, let me do it once. We'll see how it goes. And if it works out well, let me do it again. And then, you know, eventually this is just the way it works. Um, right. There has been some times when it hasn't quite worked out for other reasons, but, you know, it, it then becomes the stick to beat beat yourself over with because you know you can't legislate for half your engineering team going out sick for example um yeah. which you know could well happen at the moment with the coronavirus <laughs> jumping around the world um so sometimes you have to just kind of try and make sure it's contextualized and say yeah. you know we did it for the right reasons but it didn't quite work out that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it again next um be a be a human about it you know just have a conversation and try and show them why you're doing it rather than just be belligerent and say everyone should get out there and this, this is why I'm saying it, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. For me, that the most elated um, engineers on the planet are the ones I see in Formula One paddocks. <laughs> when, when you see yeah. a race car and the engineers that have worked all night on that race car mm. for, for week after week after week and that race car wins and you, you see them, you know, there at the end, I don't know what role the product manager is in this, <laughs> but um, when you when you see what they've engineered and the achievements it's engineered and then you see them in amongst the fans when you know, at the end of a Formula One race, yeah. the the look and the emotion um, of, the, of what they're achieving, being close to the fans, being close to the driver, mm. being close to the product that they've worked so hard to, um, it, it's always a standout example of yeah. engineering happiness. That's a fantastic analogy as well because you get almost that immediate, like, dopamine response of, of a job well done you know from start to finish um you know we don't all get that in our engineering careers unfortunately you know i'd love to see it happen in the, you know an hour and a half race one day but no <laughs> to, to get to that point of you know seeing the fruits of your labors kind of thing it, it really does and it, it you know the things you can do for your company by driving those practices stop turnover is reduced because people actually enjoy working there and all that kind of thing you know it's a it's a it's a it's, a, it's all drives into a cultural thing that you know, I've come to realise over my career that engineering isn't just about writing code. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. James, when, when you talk about user discovery, um, there's obviously the qualitative side, so sitting in front of customers, interviews, et cetera, and exposing uh, the context and the environment that customers using the product in. Uh, what about on the quant side? What about data and, yeah. and digging around in data? What's your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I mean, the more you can, you can quantify, the better. Um, Jim Barksdale has got a famous quote, the guy that founded um, uh, Mozilla, that uh, if we have the data, then let's go with that. If all we have are opinions, well, we're going to use mine. It's that kind of thing. So it's uh, it, it drives a much stronger data-driven approach, which can only be a good thing. Um, you're not wasting effort. You're not wasting time. You're not writing code for no reason. You're not building product for no reason. You you can almost lay out the facts, in a, if you're of that mind, in a spreadsheet and say, this is what we're going to get out of this two weeks' work. 
Um, and if you know, depending on the com- company culture you're in, you could then even push that back up the execs and say, look, you know, here's your return on investment of of that two weeks' work, and and it really, but it also gives the engineering teams the value and the reason they're building this product, um, especially if they can't always get out to, to meet the customers after. Um, and I, I, I also include the after as well as, as part of discovery. You know, did it work how it was intended? Let me come and speak to you after three months of using it and see how we can adapt it if we need to. Um, it's, you know, there's there's always some data you can drive out of that. And it could be, you know, even just simple things like, you know, user engagement numbers and stuff like that. Or it can be, um, almost anecdotal data, which isn't quite so easy to track, but just to hear, you know, the people I spoke to at the beginning are now really enjoying the product we built for them at the end. That also drives that, and it it, it gives you the the ways of learnings, and you can take that forward and do it again next time, and then you know, drive that approach and actually make your approaches better by each time by doing it. And you know, we all we all strive to be this magical word called agile, right? And that's a uh, it's, it's almost the the, the whole point of Agile is improvement by iteration. So it really helps in that sense as well. And uh, I mean, it's improvement by iteration, but only when you're creating value. Um, if Absolutely. You're, if you're improving the speed of burning through story points, then um, no one's really benefiting from that. It's, it's yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's one of those story points is a, is a bugbear of mine and I won't take you on a 45 minute tangent. <laughs> but a, a story point may as well be called a, a quaver or a you know it's a, it's it's an arbitrary number of velocity right and it's a it's a way to compare complexity um so you you need to get away from those you know book driven metrics they need to be valuable metrics you know how is this it, it can be as simple as as driving revenue for the business or how is this making our users lives better you know find your kpis around that yeah yeah I, i've certainly experienced myself in when, when i've you know come into a business particularly when it's a been a bit of a feature factory mm. and have introduced the concept of discovery to engineers and included them in the discovery and i've seen pretty rapidly you know from four to eight weeks of being there their mindset changes and all of a sudden the engineers are building their own hypotheses yeah. around what what could be taken into discovery and and, and therefore going and getting some of their own data to rationalise those mm. hypotheses and then handing that over as an idea, some data that helps rationalise and that helps build a, a relationship between me and them. Mm. And, and it's, it's just a magical change of their emotional attachment to the product um, yeah. when they see there's an opportunity to test in a safe way that doesn't mean you have to write code. It can just be around investigating the problem. You don't have to have the solution. And I've certainly seen that open up their mindset very positively. Absolutely. I mean, you know, as an engineer myself, there's nothing more soul destroying than being in a feature factory. Um, you know, you don't get to be creative in any way. Um, you're just, you know, taking a ticket off of the backlog, fulfilling it, doing the next one. You know, it, it is mind numbing sort of work being able to add that creative element to it just sparks the the you know the, the creative juices and brings out people's imaginations and and yeah really i mean get, getting them engaged in their own product is it it drives wonderful behaviors it really does and i don't you know and I, i'd hope that most people would take that as you know one thing to take away from this recording uh you know it allow everybody to be engaged in your product not just the product people for engineers that are listening to this recording how how would you recommend they go about the conversation um, with product UX services on whichever the function is that's leading discovery on any given day, uh, of trying to include themselves. What are the first steps? Yeah, I mean, it, it just have the conversation. I mean, the times I've done it, 
it, I don't think anybody goes out to exclude people from these sessions. I think they just don't think people want to be included. So just have the conversation. Go to your product manager, product owner, whatever you've got, and say, look, you know, I, I hear you've come up with some uh, some stories that you want to build a feature or a product for. Um, how did we go about working out they were the right things? Can I be involved in that next time? Um, and just put yourself up for it is really all I'd say because, you know, it's one of those things, unless you've got really good product managers that have done this before, you're probably not going to get invited. It's one of those, you have to put yourself up for it. Um, but that can be, you know, it doesn't have to be scary. It's not a scary thing. Just to say, you know, next time you're on a phone call with someone, can I just listen in? Just be in the in the room at the same time. Next time you're visiting one of the customers, can I just come along and, you know, you can introduce me and, and say that I'm an engineer and, and uh, you know, maybe normally people go, oh, really? Great. Can I tell you all the things that I'd love for you to build for me? You know, and it's it's just, it, yeah, it's just, you know, be all of these things. I always say be human. Uh, have the conversation, put yourself out, put yourself up for it. And, uh, it, it, you know, it, you'll be surprised at, at how many people will jump at the chance to take you along. And uh, they, they don't, they want help. Everyone wants help in life. You know, people will always take more hands if they can get it. The, the other benefit um, I want to talk about as well that I've seen from bringing engineers through discovery with me is I'm really, when, when I've run inception sessions uh, at, the, at the start of a, a sprint or bringing a new feature in, um, to talk to the whole engineering team and we sort of have an inception over maybe anywhere from two to four hours to a full day, depending on the complexity. And what I've really enjoyed is in in an inception with the engineer or, or QA, whoever it may be, who's been along that people probably don't expect to ever hear from. Yeah. And in, in that inception, because they've been brought along on that journey, they want to talk about the problem, the customer, all of the solutions that were talked about in the session and they start advocating for for the process and all of the options that are on the table far ahead of before the sprint well far ahead before the sprint happens and that makes it such a more beautiful inception workshop exactly it makes it makes it more rounded as well because everyone's had their say and everyone's everyone's got an opinion and they can they can put forward you know multiple solutions to a problem and work out you know the right one i wouldn't say the best one because sometimes the right one is not necessarily the best solution but it gets you to market quicker or something like that um but it also it must make you know the product owner's job that much easier because they're not now having to sit there and go oh well when we did that product last time it joins up with this one via certain methods and you know you don't have to worry about all of those implementation details all of a sudden you can come up with the idea and then allow the group to come up with the solutions. Yes, it, it must, you know, I think it must make everyone's life and jobs more enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, like they, because they've given it headspace and they've yeah. definitely enjoyed the experience. I've seen them walk in with, you know, predetermining what questions they're going to get or that they would have asked if mm. infrastructure or security is in the room. And like, look, for you guys, th- this is what I'd, I've seen and this is what you should think about. Um, and even walking in with some pre-written user stories, this is the type of value creation from a story perspective. I think we're going to need to go along. And f- from a product manager perspective, like, wow, yeah. that's an engaged employee. Additionally, I've also found when I've been one-to-one in user interviews with an engineer, it's a great bonding experience when you debrief. So when the customer leaves the room and you talk about what the customer said and then the engineer she has something really personal. They might say, mm. oh, yeah, I'm actually in the same situation as that guy or girl. And, and go, oh, really? All right, tell me more about that. And you had to get to, you have a, this personal experience, this little mini personal journey. With yeah. Person. 
I mean, you know, from There's my not side, many opportunities to do that in, in, no, in not, on a one-to-one basis, not, especially not in a professional world we're in now, where it is all about team collaboration and everything. You know, you know, mm. I find that sometimes that one-to-one space. I mean, for my and my um, direct reports, I always make sure we have one-to-one space to allow that bonding. You know, to you, you really need to know someone on a human level to be able to work with them really well. Um, what you were saying there is spot on. You you also get it. I've had it with my product manager at the moment when we've done some discovery that the most bonding you get done is on the train on the way to or from the meeting you know it's that kind of thing and it, it just because it it puts you together um and then you just and also it gives you that chance to get to know them on a human level and then you work with them much better and then you go into your next discovery session as a team rather than as an engineer and a product manager and then yeah. you know you might drive some better insights out of it because you're on the same page it's uh, and there's a sense of achievement that you did that interview together and then you know sometimes you get a bit of a weird customer yeah. yeah, you have a bit of a joke about that guy. You remember that when we did that interview? Mm. Um, and it, so there's definitely some soft benefits that, to your point, that you open with aren't in any of the rule books. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Around this stuff. No one talks about that. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. I've really enjoyed chatting through, James. This yeah, me great. too. Really good. Thanks for having me. Like I said earlier. Reconnect to talk through, to put Essex on the map just a little <laughs> bit. Unfortunately, yep. Not particularly product related, um, but we, we did it. Um, thank you so much for sharing. And for all of you listening, thank you very much for listening to this podcast episode. If you enjoyed this or any of the European Tour podcast episodes, please remember that they're all dedicated to raising awareness and funds for the bushfire affected communities of Australia. You can head over to bushfire.productcoalition.com if you'd like to support uh, those causes over there. Until the next episode, thank you very much. Thanks, James. Thanks very much.